when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. We are so excited to be here today with Jody Moore, H2H's brand new coach. And uh, if you can get a chance to watch this, we've got it on video as well, which is unusual. Normally it's me in my pajamas doing my podcasting, but um, Jody's <laughs> with us here live. Welcome Jody Moore to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are so excited to not only have you on the podcast, but to have you as part of the H2H team. Before we talk about how that all came about, and we're going to be talking about a lot of great things in today's podcast, just give us a little background on who you are, where you practice, what you do. Sure. I am a plaintiff's elder abuse specialist. I'm in Southern California. I've been working in the field of healthcare, medical malpractice, personal injury my whole career. Um, although I did start off for the first three years as a defense attorney in healthcare. I did not know this. Yeah. Oh, how so, funny. Uh, wow. I like, I like to sprinkle in something you don't know. So yeah, I started out um, on that side and there's a whole story there, but my, my grandmother got sick and she ended up in a nursing home and I saw the light and came over to the mm. plaintiff's side. So mm. I did that when I was just a three-year lawyer. Um, presently my firm, there's five of us. So I have a business partner and three, uh, associates and we practice almost exclusively nursing home and elder abuse litigation. So that's sort of my story and where I'm at today. Wonderful. And so you and I met, I believe at Rick Friedman's, uh, take back the courtroom in Miami. One of those years went to lunch, never quite lost touch would email back and forth from time to time. Uh, but what brought you back kind of into to my life and, and to where you are now? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, there's a story there too. But um, essentially, 2019, I was feeling overwhelmed and burnout. So I'm a partner in my firm. I've had my own firm for 20 years now. Uh, mom and wife and just sort of very busy, very burned out, very overworked. And I was looking for whatever was next. I actually happened to see our good friend, Rick Friedman again. He came and spoke at Pepperdine, which is right down the road. And he introduced me to the Ethos program, which is one of the uh, small group training programs that he does. And mm -hmm. I went, cause I love Rick Friedman and I didn't really know what to expect. And what I found was it was really sort of the exploration of ourselves and um, in some respects, it was sort of a love story to the trial attorneys. If you've mm. read The Way of the Trial Lawyer, it kind of comes out in that book. But like how important we are to the civil justice system and the criminal system. And um, so it, it reignited that part of me that drew me to the law in the first place. Having said that, I had a little bit of an epiphany in that progress, uh, that program uh, that led me to understand that I was looking at the jury with a lot of fear. And really, the jury is out to kill my case. The jury is the enemy. And I sort of did some psychodrama around that. And right after that, your podcast came out. And your podcast, one of the very first podcasts is the juror is not the enemy. The jury is not the enemy. <laughs> right? And I was like, well, that's not a sign from the universe. I don't know what is. And so I just sort of 
drank in your podcast and the the dovetail of leaving that um, epiphany and then having a place to explore that issue really just came at the right time in the right place. And so I've been um, an H2H fan since before H2H existed, really, since the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you're here and, and you and I have been kind of talking and, and you, you came into the, to the leaning into the pause, kind of like coach Sidia when she was here last month and talked about that and, and, um, how that's, she kind of found us there, but you came into that and then decided to go in as a founder. And then you ended up taking one of our small group programs, the path to mastery program. And, uh, I have your permission to share this. So I'm going to share it. But in that program, you're like, I don't know that I want to be a lawyer anymore. And, and city kind of came down that same road. Um, and, and so talk to me a little bit about how that played out for you. Well, I think what I was trying to express, and I didn't really quite without the exploration, know what was going on was I just didn't mm-hmm. want to live in stress anymore. I didn't want to live in overwhelm and burnout. And I had a lot of um, energy around, well, when I'm kicking ass at work, I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job at home, you know, wife, mother, friend. Um, And when I'm really connected at home, I feel like I'm letting everybody down at work. So that's part of the cycle that I was stuck in, just really feeling like no matter what I was doing, um, somebody was let down. And I I think a lot of trial attorneys, especially women, think that. Yeah, that was really hard. And so I kept thinking, well, how do I slow, how do I slow things down was really the driving force. How do I slow things down? And I thought that was very external. I thought it was, you know, hire more people or take fewer cases or, you know, I was looking for sort of that, that the magic um, answer to that question. And what I really didn't understand was that it was much deeper exploration, which is why am I overworking in the first place? Mm. Why is my hypervigilance so activated? Um, why do I feel that it's necessary to, you know, stay up all night before an important hearing or whatever? I never stayed up before a hearing, but, you know, working myself to death and trial, that sort of thing. Um, and so that's what Path to Mastery was for me. And, and to be honest, at the end of the six-month program, I still was really grappling with this because you had sort of opened my eyes to being more intentional with my time and more intentional with my choices. And, and, and really, if my values, we do a lot of values exploration, right? If my values are first and foremost to be an amazing wife and mother, um, how am I going to honor those? And if the law, the practice of law is really taking away from that, then maybe I, maybe I should do something different. And at, it was at that point that I thought, I, I need to um, approach this differently because I actually love being a lawyer. I love standing up on the side of the vulnerable. I love trying to right the wrong and hold the nursing home industry accountable. And I actually think I'm pretty good at it, but not when I'm in overwhelm and scarcity and fear and feeling like I'm letting people down in other parts of my life. So I decided to just figure out how to do it in a way that those things were in better balance. Well, and I think that's what everyone is just dying to hear how that turned out for you. And it obviously turned out great for you because I think they conflate, right? The two, it's like, I can either have balance and be happy, or I can be a lawyer. 
right? They both, like they both can't be together, which I think is why so many people come to a point, at least sometimes in their career where they think, I don't want to do this anymore because they don't see a different way. Being a lawyer means working crazy hours, always being overwhelmed, always feeling stressed, always feeling like no one is getting the best part of you. And so how were you able to, to, to go internal, as you say, and, and work that out so that you could remain a lawyer and do the things that you loved, but also find some of that balance and happiness? Well, it was a lot of work. So I don't want to give off the impression that you sort of wake up For one sure. morning and you decide I'm, I'm going to be in balance now. And, and uh, so it's, it's been an evolution for sure. But one of the core principles I think was learning, and I, I'm sure you have a podcast on it because I remember hearing it, you know, that we are always at choice. Mm -hmm. So even the concept of being overwhelmed is a choice. And I really resisted that when I heard it. I was like, Wait, are you kidding me? Like, I really do have to do this, that, and the other. And I'm, you know, I'm supporting my firm and I'm supporting my family. And, you know, the deadlines are the deadlines. And so I had a lot of resistance to that idea that um, that it was a choice, but peeling back the layers, which you invited us to do, right? It's, well, you can choose to do all of those things if they're in service of your values, but if you're just doing them because there's nobody else to do them or if you, un unintentionally again, just like because you've, you've always been the because person- Because you think you have that. to. Yes. Yes, then it um, then that's what was contributing to just the, the feeling of stress and depression. Not I'm not clinically depressed, but just like, oh, I have to do this again, like dreading. That's the word dreading doing the things. And so I either figured out how to reframe what I was doing because it was in service of my values. Like I do run my household and take care of my kids and it includes things that you like don't always want to do, but I want to um, value my kids and, and put a home cooked meal on the table or have a, a tidy house so people can come over whatever so i found a way to sort of reframe some of that i delegated the shit out of stuff um i'm i am actually really good at delegating when i figure out i need to do it um so hiring and delegating or just being okay with things not being done and then the third part of the process was like okay well when am i lit up when am i mm. I, I figured out that i have an energy i didn't even i i lost touch of my with my own energy. So I figured out I have this energy. If you ask me, do you want to do something? I either light up with absolutely I want to do that, or I feel sinking dread. And there's not mm. a whole lot in between. <laughs> um, and I had conditioned myself to just plow through the stuff, even though I had sinking dread, and to actually feel kind of selfish if I was pursuing the thing that made me feel light and joyful. Well, I think you I think you're just so speaking to so many people right now, particularly attorneys. I was just on a on a, a client call the other day where my client was saying, you know, I just I have to have grit and I just need to like, you know, grin and bear it. And I'm like, where the hell did you get this idea that that's what life was about? That that's somehow this worthy thing to have grit and grit your way through life. And that's how life is supposed to be. You said that I was one of the first people to ask you a specific question. Why don't you tell the listeners what that question is? The question was, what's your dream? Mm. So, what was so transformative about that question? I think permission. I think that up until that time, um, 
nobody had asked me to look at my life that way. And, and I want to be really clear, because I know people are going to listen to this, including my, my family and my coworkers. Like, I check a lot of boxes. Like, I have a really amazing life. I own my own firm. I have a really supportive business partner, great staff who are loyal to the firm. I'm happily married. My kids are healthy, right? Like, I check a lot of boxes. And despite all of that, I still was feeling um, dissatisfied or drained. And so having someone say, what's your dream? I think the superficial answer would have been exactly what I had. Mm-hmm. I think and you just really, to me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm living everything. I'm yeah. living the dream. Um, but I was still, I was still doing certain things because I thought they were what was expected expected of me and I thought there's nobody else who can do this. I actually had a I had a little victim dialogue that I didn't even know I had. I don't I don't um it's not resonant to me to say, oh I think like a victim, right? I'm I've never said that about myself, but I did. I, I felt like, well, I just don't have enough support. There just aren't enough people, blah, blah, blah. And that's that's also not true. You know, I have a really um, great network of support, both at work and at home. So it was a dialogue in my own head that was telling me, you have to do, you have to do, you have to do. And that question sort of, what's, what's your dream? If you waved a magic wand and you were only doing the things that you wanted to do, what would that look like? Gave me permission to, to look at all the stuff that was depleting and draining and say, that's not part of my dream. <laughs> so why am I doing it? Right. And right. What 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 do I have the power to change about that? And that was well, really informative. And before we go into how you were able, because I'm sure people are listening to this and going, well, that's all great. And but that's a magic wand that you can actually have those things. Uh, I just want to mark something that you said, which I think is really important, is I think this is where a lot of people get stuck, is that they, you know, when when they even think to themselves right now, listening to the podcast, you know, what's your dream? They feel guilty if they don't feel like they have, you know, that they're, if they're not happy when they look at all they have, I guess is what I want to say, right? They're like, well, I should be happy because I have the family and the law practice and, and the money and, and the things that they have. And so that stops us. It's a way our saboteur comes in and goes, what, who are you to complain? Why are you saying you're not fulfilled? You have all of these things. So how dare you, you selfish idiot, right? What would you say? Uh, would you say that I would, I, I guess I would ask, would you say that that's kind of what happened with you as well? Yeah, I definitely, my saboteur was definitely all over this. And, and it was the word that just kept coming up was selfish. It would be selfish mm. for you to design something different. Like it would be selfish for you to say, but I don't want to do that anymore. Like how selfish, that just sounds selfish. I don't want to fill in the blank for these things that I had been doing for a really long time. But it was also true. And mm. it was also the thing that was making me not show up in, in my best ways and all the things I wanted to do because I was so tired and resentful of all the other things that I was doing. So to get to the place where I was showing up better in my relationships and at home and mentoring and and um, working strategically on my cases like bringing everything that i had to the places where i was really adding the most value i had to get rid of the stuff that was leaving me feeling depleted and that i was resenting 
Um, well, I think so that's the mindset switch we have to make is that what is actually selfish is to live a life where you are not realizing your gifts and showing up fully. That is, that is withholding from the world, your best self. We somehow tell ourselves that we can do it all. If we would just work hard enough, we would just not be so lazy, right? Where in actuality we can't, and we have to make choices. And if we're going to make choices anyway, why not choose the things that bring us alive and have Mm -hmm. us show up fully to the things that we love. Mm -hmm. And there's another sort of unintended consequence of that selfishness too, which is like, I don't think I gave the people around me enough credit for stepping in and filling those shoes. Mm, Yeah. So once I said, you know, this is what I want and this is what I think I'm good at. And these are things that I want to get rid of. Instead of getting the resistance that I anticipated I would get, I got, how can we make that happen for you? Wonderful. Wonderful. So, and again, that didn't happen overnight, right? There was a lot of one degree shifts, right? But, but people who know me know that they see me light up now in a way that was dim before and they want nothing more than to see me follow the path. And so even like my husband or my kids, for example, I tried a big case last summer, which took me away from my kids, but my kids saw a different side of me and they're like, you know, do what you need to do, mom, you're kicking butt, go, you know, we will hold down the fort, you know, from my 12 year old sending me little morning texts, like have a great day today, mom. So I, I didn't give them enough credit for um, accepting that this is the path that I needed to go down and being fully supportive of it. Well, that really brings us to something you and I wanted to talk about in this podcast is of, of being in integrity, right? When you are in integrity with your gifts and you are alignment with that, and you're really showing up and being your true self, things tend to, to fall into place much easier than all the stories we've built up in our head. And you're reading a great book on this right now. Yes. Uh, I'm reading Martha Beck's book, The Way of Integrity, which I'm going to bring to book club, hopefully April. Um, But it's just sort of blowing my mind because she's talking about this integrity as deep alignment with our inner wisdom or sort of our inner truth, our deep knowing. And what happens is that over our lifetime, um life circumstances events culture right um take us off of our path so what's expected of me as a good mother is a b t c d e what's expected of me in my role in the firm is a b c d e and so i'm making decisions and um going through life meeting these expectations these sort of external cultural expectations and that might be fine if they're in alignment with what my true wisdom and true self also values and believes is the path. But when they're not in alignment, when I'm doing things just to please the cultural norm or the societal expectation against my true um, wisdom, that's when there's all this angst and stress. Mm. And so this this book in particular, but a lot of the coaching and, and questions that have come out on your podcast, for example, are asking us lawyers and me in particular to get out of our heads where we're rationalizing well the pros and cons of doing it this way is a b c d e and dropping down into the the body or the heart or the soul or the spirit and saying what feels right Mm -hmm. and when i do that i kind of come back to the energy right 
when I do that, like what feels right, that's that inner wisdom. And when I'm following that path, I'm in integrity and I don't have the stress and the angst and the overwhelm that I was experiencing before. How does one do that? If you were to give advice to lawyers listening right now, they're like, that sounds awesome. But how do I drop in to that space and get out of my head so that I can start really tuning into what I want, what my dream is and, and start creating that life? I would do the mindset coaching, <laughs> right? <laughs> I would, I would find a way to do the mindset coaching, uh, whether one-on-one or through small group or, or self-coaching, you know, there's a lot of self-coaching models and you've been talking about, for example, the CTFAR model is a self-coaching model, but it starts with awareness. So for me, I'm really connected now to when I feel triggered. So when I'm in flow and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing or I'm relaxed or I'm chill, everything's fine. And then the email pops up or my kid says the thing and I'm triggered, right? I am, I'm not chill anymore, right? Something has now happened to trigger that. And so for me, I took a lot of practice for me to just pause and say, what's triggering me? Why is it triggering me? How do I want to be? with this thing that just happened, you know, this nasty email or this, whatever it might be, um, and choosing a different way. So that's the CTFAR model. Um, Or really asking a question about, you know, is this thing that you're doing um, honoring or dishonoring a value? So a lot of times I'm triggered because of values dishonored. So that was really disrespectful. And that's why I'm so Um, Or I feel like this is going to impact my client with an injustice. And that triggers a value for me. And I'm really angry. So the the first step really is, I think, that self-awareness and self-examination. And then making some choices about how I want to be with that and what I want to do with that. That's not necessarily reflexive anger or or you know, retribution or whatever for the circumstance. Well, I think that brings up a great point And one that you actually said to me, or at least said behind my back and shared with me later, um, which was how do you choose how you want to feel or think, or, you know, right. So people are listening to this going, well, wait a minute. What do you mean? How I want to be, how do I choose how I want to be? Yeah. I did say that to you, to your face. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. Yeah, when you first introduced this model, the CTFAR model, so you have a a circumstance, it's completely neutral, the unintentional model is, and so you have this thought, which is probably something that your your mind has always thought, or some saboteur energy, and that produces this feeling of angst or anxiety for me was kind of a common go-to. My action is, you know, procrastination or eating ice cream, and my result is I feel worse, right? And, and so in the intentional model, you take that same circumstance and, and that's where the question for me comes up. How do I want to be with this? Mm. That's the, that's the question that at least what became the cracking open the door, because I can be stressed out and angry and upset and violated, um, or I can be something else, whatever that circumstance calls for. So I'll give you a quick example, because one of the things that I think shifted for me was when I used it in my personal life and not my professional life, because that part, that part was harder for me. Like, like I said, the, the judge makes a ruling and, you know, really taking that personally, taking it to heart if it was against the interests of my client. 
But I remember um, I was practicing CTFAR and my son came in and we were, my older son, so he's a teenager, we were in the middle of COVID, he's like managing his homework and he got a really bad grade on a test and he's got kind of crocodile tears and he, he is braced for impact because he thinks I'm going to be angry. And I can see it. And my initial reaction is I am going to be angry because he's got time to play video games and why didn't he study, right? And I took, I literally in, the, in a beat, I looked up at him and I said, I'm really proud of you because I chose a thought that was in service to this conversation. And he looked at me, he was so confused. I'm going to get emotional. He was so confused. And I said, you know what? We are eight months into COVID. And I have no idea how you've managed your schoolwork. You have done it completely independently. You've taken every test, you've turned in every assignment, you've gotten straight A's, and you haven't needed me to micromanage any of it. And the fact that it took you eight months to get to this point where you bombed a test is super impressive to me. And so beautiful. I stood up and I gave him a hug. And you know, we had a had our moment. And I said, do you know how to, you know, do you know, do you need anything from me? Basically, do you know what you need to do next? And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm like, okay. He's going to that the rest of his life. Yeah. yeah. So that's CTFAR, right? Because I thought, I really believe those things. But the result that I wanted is not for my kid to be afraid to tell me that he bombed a test. Mm. The result that I wanted is for my kid to be like, this sucks. It feels bad. And I'm sorry, but I already knew that about him. So I want a deep bonded relationship with my kid. That is the result that I want. And so that's what I did. Um, and I'll think, so you have to think something different to get that result. Yeah. And you can choose that. I love that Jody. That's such a great point. So, so there's a lot of internal work, you know, I think you, you've shared in other, um, um, like in a webinar and potentially just in H2H about how, you know, this has been a process over, over a year, if not longer for you to get to this point. And so much of it has been mindset work. What are some of the practical things that you've done to actually move? We've been talking a lot in the H2H into your zone of genius, right? And doing the things that you are really uniquely suited to do and that you love that other people can, can do. Cause I think people will listen and go, this is all great stuff, but like, how do you actually do this? How do you actually spend most of your time doing things that you love doing and not doing the quote unquote have tos. Well, first you have to get really clear on what that list is. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't, I wish I had it in front of me. I have one of those like giant sticky notes and, um, I put it up at my house with my husband one day and I was like, I'm going to write down the yeses and I'm going to write down the no's. Mm -hmm. And the yes was a really short list. I got to tell you right? The yes was trying cases. Mm -hmm. The yes was supporting, empowering, and training my staff. Um, The yes was big picture strategy on cases to take and cases not to take. Uh, Working with experts, that's in my zone of genius. Um, That was about it, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say three to five (laughs) is what I normally hear from people. Mm -hmm. And then the no list holy moly, like just, I don't want to review time billing records anymore of my staff and run reports. I don't want to be the one posting a Craigslist ad for the focus group that we're doing. I mean, 
there were many, many, many things on my to-do list that I did because, you know, I started off as a solo. So there are certain things it's like, that's the way it's always been. Um, I definitely had a voice in my head that said, I need to do it because no one else will do it the way I would do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which may be true, but it doesn't mean the way somebody else would do it wouldn't still get the job done and be good, if not better. Um, so I, I, it's a long list and I just started figuring it out. It's um, what, what on this list still has to be done or what can be given up altogether. Oh yeah. What on this list can be delegated to my existing people or, or processes? And what do I need to hire for? And all of that for me actually led to um, a broader assessment, deeper conversations with my existing staff, with my business partner, and sort of a broader assessment of having someone come in and look at our processes and figure out um, what's next for us. But it, it, the choice for me was it's no longer okay for me to continue doing the things on the no list um, because then yeah, I, I can't do all the things on the yes list. That's the big distinction here. I think people get stuck in the how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to figure this out? When the very first thing is outside of, you know, knowing what it is you do want to do is being committed to figuring it out. That's more important than anything else is that I know that I no longer want to do these things and I will figure it out. And the other thing that we've talked a lot about back in the crew is this idea that, you know, you have to, to kind of leap and then the the net will catch you and the same thing you have to kind of act and then the evidence will come meaning so many people will be getting better results at trial or in their settlements or all the things if they weren't doing all the things that they were doing now but they keep telling themselves well when i do get those results then i'll have the money to be able to hire the person so right it doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way you have to get the person in place if that is in fact what ends up happening so that you can go and and kick ass over here and then the money will show up but people keep waiting and waiting and waiting for that to happen yeah so that that brought up for me another like really resonant um thing that I learned through H2H, and I think it was Coach K, but it was that how is the killer of dreams, mm-hmm. right? So once you invited me to dream and I went, okay, well, in my dream world, it looks like A, B, C, D, E. I, I do, I'm a type A perfectionist, hypervigilant, you know, person. So of course I went to, but how, how, what is mm-hmm. step one? Please tell me step one, step two, step three. And, um, and then that was Coach K coming in saying, how is the killer of dreams? So don't let the how keep you from building the dream, mm-hmm. right? And so one of, my, one of my dream moments, if you will, so I said I tried this case last year and it, the trial kind of butted up with my pre-planned, pre-paid family vacation. And I value family, so now what do I do? I have these competing values. Uh, the trial was over Zoom and it was half day. And I put on a witness on a Thursday afternoon and I was supposed to go to vacation on Friday or Thursday morning, I was going on vacation on Friday and the witness didn't finish. And so witness gets called back Monday morning and I'm on vacation. So um, day closed down and we're like, find me a conference room wherever I'm going on vacation and I'll show up. And that's what I did. And Monday actually bled over to Tuesday. So Monday morning I did trial in like the equivalent of a boom closet. It was crazy. <laughs> Um, in this tiny little strip mall where I was like literally looking at like a ladder and a vacuum cleaner. Um, 
<laughs> um, on my laptop, you know, kind of talking to the jury the way I'm talking to you now. And then in the afternoon, I was ziplining with my kids. And I Love went back it. the next day and I was in trial in the morning. And in the afternoon, we were doing the lazy river float with my extended family. And I actually figured out that's the dream. Mm. That's the dream. I, I logged in last week from Hawaii and I there was some you side did, chatter. Like, why are you logging in from Hawaii? That's part of my dream. Yeah. That it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be 50 weeks out of the year that I am killing myself at work so that I can have two weeks of vacation with my family where we cram everything in. So for me, being able to have that balance and, and go back and forth and not be stressed out about the trial the next morning and also be absolutely present with my kids in the afternoon, I could have never done that two years ago. Ever, 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 ever. And, and when you had the dream, you couldn't have thought that that's how it was going to play out. It's not like you could have been like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Like two years from now, I'm going to have the trial in the morning. And then, right. It, you just, we can't get to the details. We've got to have this burning resonant dream. And then that will direct us and the details will then fall into place. It's like, that's yeah. our North star. And then we deal with what we're, what, what we're dealing with in, in the, in the middle. If we try to figure it all out ahead of time. That, that there's the how how is killer of dreams it just all goes away and we go well i can't figure it out forget it yeah it all beautifully happens well tell us a little bit as we're wrapping up now about what you do in the crew and if people will join in april where they will see you and uh, playing in there okay so let me try to give you the rundown so in the h2h crew i do the weekly reflect and celebrate so you know actually it's really important based on what we talked about today, which is we aren't reflecting on the things that we're sort of unintentionally doing, going through the motions, how can we expect them to change? So there's an invitation once a week to reflect on your week and try to find those places where you can self-observe and, and, and make some changes. Um, I'm gonna be taking over case workshop, which is one of the hot seats uh, once a month where you can come in and talk about your case and we'll work through um, brainstorming or if there's a specific question, specific issue, we'll uh, tackle the H2H model with regard to that. And then with my um, fellow guest coach, John Chilson, we're going to be um, passing back and forth an H2H roundtable, which is also a place for you to come in and brainstorm and talk about your cases but it's not a hot seat required. So if you have a burning issue coming up on your case or you kind of want to use the group, the wisdom of the group to focus group or talk about a tactic or a strategy, we're going to have an open forum where you can do that. I'm also available to do one-on-one -on -one, um, trial consulting. So there's going to be several packages for consulting, but you can do a two-day consulting package or a half day consulting package and you would book that through sorry dlm and through christy and they can put you in touch with me uh, and you do, do not need to be a h2h member for that although h2h member gets discounts on that but yes yes so anyone listening right now who is not a member can can and you've got you're, you want to learn the h2h method you want you've got a case coming up um both coach june and coach jody are available for those yeah Okay, I'm still going. So I'm also available to do one-on-one uh, -on -one mindset coaching. So if you want um, private coaching, I am in certification through the Coactive Coaching Institute. And so as part of the certification process, we need to get a certain number of hours. And so Sari has been kind enough to allow us to do those hours through members with H2H. 
um, at a discount while we're in training. So if you're interested in that, I'm available. And then there's two small group coaching offerings. There's um, Path to Mastery for Trial Skills, which I will be helming with Coach June. And then um, hopefully eventually I'll also be doing the Path to Mastery Mindset with Coach Sidia and or Coach Kevin. So, I'm, so how I'm do gonna... you how do you plan on doing this and having having your own job? <laughs> <laughs> I already told you when I'm here, I'm sort of most energized. So nothing yeah. about what I just said is worrisome to me. Like, how am I going to fit it all in? Um, there's been some designed alliance, right, about what that time looks like, both with with you and H2H and with my um, existing office and staff. But to be honest, I did a lot of this all through last summer, right? I did the Path to Mastery last summer while I was in trial. I did H2H Happy Hour, which we brought over the summer. Um, I just love being in this space with these people and mm -hmm. with the community that's been built here. And so uh, I'm not worried about that at all. And I just got to, like I said, uh, I've gotten really clear on where I'm spending my time at work and what's being delegated and it's all going to work out. Well, and I think that's, that's the, the message here is that you light up when you talk about H2H and, and you are such a, a wonderful presence in there. And, and this is what I say all the time about time management is when you love your life, there's time forever. There's time for it, right? It's, it's when you're trying to do a bunch of stuff you don't want to do then you're trying to manage your time. I'm like, why are we on managing our time to try to do more things that we don't want to do in the first place? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Does it, does it mean that you don't need to get strategic, but when you have a, a clear sense of what it is that you love and want to be doing, it all tends to fall into place, but it all starts with getting clear on what your dream is. So thank you for that, Jody. Uh, if you want to talk to Jody um, specifically, you can email her at Jody at sorrydlm.com. And again, if you wanted to uh, join the crew, we'll be reopening in April. And also if you want some trial consulting, reach out to our office or to Jody directly. She'll direct you to the right place. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Jody. And uh, we so are excited to welcome you as an official faculty member of the H2H crew and a trial consultant with Sorry DLM. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I'm really excited. Great. Well, we will talk to everybody next week. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just want to let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to FromHostageToHero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.